So once again, good evening, everyone. Really such a delight to see you on this uh, summer evening. And uh, recently in the morning, at least some of you can maybe relate to this in Flagstaff here, you know, in the in the morning when the air is still crisp and cool, it has that kind of, to me, uh, such a delight to it. Um, I've been taking some time to revisit walking meditation, really taking quite a bit of time with walking meditation and then moving into my formal sitting meditation. And in particular, what I've been exploring is uh, slow walking meditation. And I want to acknowledge really walking meditation can happen at any pace. It's just that for some reason, it's the slow, really slow walking meditation uh, feels like it's coming alive for me again and just been following that. And, and not only the, the slow walking meditation, but really cultivating this, um, you could say, attitude of the mind and reminding myself, oh, yeah, I, I have nowhere to go in this walking meditation. And that feels so freeing just because I think for walking for me, even if I'm doing like a mindful hike, there's still a little bit of like, I'm going to get somewhere. And it does feel different when I'm in a space, a context where I can just set that aside for a while. And, and not only setting that aside, but also I'm given a chance not to get anything done. And I do have to confess, even when I'm walking and doing the walking meditation, either in, inside our house or outside, those thoughts do crop up. I'm walking inside and I was like, oh, I should clean that. Or that'd be so nice to rearrange that bookshelf. Or, oh, that's the weed I need to uh, take care of. And this is the, the plant I need to water. And of course my mind goes there, but it's nice to have the sense of like noticing that and just coming back to, oh yeah, I don't have anything to do just to walk. And so really opening this space up around walking meditation the space of nothing to do and, and nowhere to go. And the feeling I get from revisiting it is it, it feels like I'm learning to walk. It's like I'm, I'm learning to walk in the world, or you could say I'm learning to walk with the world would be more accurate, I, 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 as you'll hear later on. But to, to learn to walk with the world in a deeper way, in a, in a, a different way that I feel is onward leading and, and has a sense of moving towards freedom. And I don't know about for all of you, but what I've noticed, at least in this world of insight meditation, is that sitting meditation gets so much more screenplay, right, <laughs> than walking meditation. This is usually a nod to walking meditation, but it's it's so little compared to sitting meditation. And yet in some circles of, uh, of Theravada, of Theravada practice, it can play actually quite a significant role. So for example, in the Theravada tradition, monastics will sometimes do a practice called uh, Tudong. And Tudong, to keep it simple, is it's this, uh, when, a monastic has this intention of, of going on a journey, and it's a journey just by foot, just on, on foot, which can either be a few days or a few weeks or a few months. 
where that is their meditation practice, the journey on foot, where they're opening themselves to uh, kind of the elements and just a simple life and uh, taking whatever is given as they're on this journey. And then the primary meditation is walking meditation. And there's also some monastics in the Thai forest tradition where walking meditation is the central meditation. It's not sitting meditation, where if they're on retreat, what they're going to be doing for most of the hours is some kind of walking meditation. And, and in this tradition, I, I think there are these stories that I feel uh, oh, they were created to, to give a sense of what I'd call a, a, a sense of deep mythic meaningfulness that can inspire a practitioner to learn this art of walking meditation. You could say to learn, to learn to walk with the world. And I'd like to share with you just one of these stories that gives a kind of meaningfulness in this realm of walking meditation, kind of on a, a mythic sense, you could say. Something, and, and there's a side note, I, I think there's a been a place for me to learn how to take in stories or story in a way that inspires my heart, that, that gives motivation for this path and this practice. And one of these stories is the story about the Emperor Ashoka. So Ashoka was um, an emperor in on the subcontinent of, of India, the Indian subcontinent, during the third century BC. And he was a huge supporter of Buddhism in a way that allowed it to take root in India. And also it's because of him that at least at that time that, that Buddhism really expanded in India over the centuries after that. And so the story goes, Ashoka, when he was first emperor, was often called Chanda Ashoka, which meant Ashoka the Cruel. And the reason why he was called this is because he was so brutal in his conquest of peoples and territories. And then, as good stories go, there's a transformation. He had this transformation of his heart where he turned towards Buddhism. And then he was called Dhamma Ashoka, Ashoka, the one connected with the Dharma or the Dhamma. The specific uh, transformation is said to have taken place on a particular day. It was on the day that Ashoka's army had conquered the kingdom of Orissa. And on that day of, of conquest, Ashoka was on the battlefield. And for some reason, his heart was in an incredibly different place. And all around him, uh, he started to take in the immensity of the suffering of the dead and wounded soldiers that lay scattered all around. And yet this time he felt so distraught, so sickened by what he had caused and how he was living his life as this despotic ruler. So here he was, his heart shaken, I think in a good way, coming to terms with really how he was living. 
and the harm that was being done around that. And then at that moment on the battlefield, it was like in the corner of his eye, he uh, caught sight of, uh, of a monastic beginning to walk through that area uh, of, the, of the battlefield. Here is this monk walking in such a different way. We could say walking with the world, walking in the world in a different way. And walking with this world of suffering and despair that was all around. Yet when I imagine this turning point in Ashoka's life, I, I imagine that this way of walking of the monastic, it had this sense of exuding, exuding both the sense of equanimity and compassion in the midst of what had happened that day. And it was like Ashoka was sensitive to this. He could sense this in the walking of the monastic, how they were carrying themselves, how their hearts were open yet stable in some manner. And Ashoka was so moved by the way this monk was walking that he went up to the monastic and said, please, please, I am so distraught and troubled. Please teach me this way that you walk with the world. And that was the turning point. It was from there that King Ashoka became a practitioner and supporter of the, of the Dharma and supposedly became a, a king that created programs to help the poor and the sick, as well as policies of protecting animals and the environment. So here's this story, a story of walking intertwined with the Dharma walking with the world and that it it has this potential to transform it transforms it has a, a power to transform me and possibly it has a power to transform others around me i feel like there's something deeply meaningful just in walking meditation that gets conveyed to me through this story So walking meditation, learning to walk with the world. So what kind of worlds do I learn to walk with in this domain of walking meditation? And one is, is I'm just learning to walk with the, uh, the world of Dharma practice itself. For the Buddha, when he, you know, spoke about walking meditation, it was an invitation to practitioners to explore many worlds of Dharma practice within walking meditation. So more specifically, what he would often do, you find this in the text that he encouraged um, practitioners to engage in these worlds of Dharma practice in all of these uh, kind of the, the typical four postures of the body. So to, to engage in a practice in walking and standing and sitting and in lying down. And at times there'd be a, a, an invitation to practice loving kindness or definitely in terms of mindfulness, all of the different aspects of mindfulness, one would be encouraged to practice this 
oh, while you're walking, while you're standing, and while you're sitting, and while you're lying down. And even practices of recollection, that same phrase, make sure to practice it while you're walking, while you're standing, while you're sitting and lying down. So in, in this formulation of walking meditation, it's not so much a different meditation, but rather it's just a different context that a practitioner is invited to bring in meditation in these different forms. I also want to point out that this learning to walk with the world occurs in a variety of different worlds of varieties of human bodies. Right? Some bodies walk and some bodies don't walk. Some bodies can sit quite well and others not so well. Human bodies, they work differently. And it's just important to acknowledge and to discover what are the postures that are supportive for the body that you have. For example, I, I know a, a practitioner of a practitioner who spent years of their meditation of their meditation practice primarily doing lying down uh, meditation, but not so much sitting and walking meditation. And it was a, a result of a really severe accident that had happened. It was really the, the posture that was one of the only postures that could really work for their body after uh, so many surgeries and so much damage. So I wanna be, want be clear when I'm speaking tonight, you know, when I speak of wa walking meditation, I, I mean this in a little bit more expansive way that I, I do hope that some of these reflections will translate into other forms of movement, especially for those who have bodies that don't walk. And I, I want to share a poem that stretches the sense of walking and the movement that you'll hear in this poem. It does this, and it also adds, I find another dimension to this framework that I'm offering around learning to walk. Here I am learning to walk with the world. And it's a poem by Ted Kuzer called uh, A Rainy Morning. He begins, a young woman in a wheelchair wearing a black nylon poncho spattered with rain is pushing herself through the morning. You have seen how pianists sometimes bend forward to strike the keys, then lift their hands, draw back to rest, then lead again to strike just as the chord fades. Such is the way this woman strikes at the wheels, then lifts her long white fingers, letting them float, then bends again to strike just as the chair slows, as if into a silence. So expertly she plays the chords of this difficult music she has mastered, her wet face beautiful in its concentration while the wind turns the pages of the rain.
for me, there's something so beautiful and touching about the image that this poem evokes for me. Moving this body, whether that's through a wheelchair or walking, that it can be like a pianist at the piano, that it's an art just to move the body, and often a beautiful art. So here I am, I, I get to learn this art, this beautiful art of walking with the world. So here I, I have this invitation to learn this art, that it's an artistic endeavor to walk with the world, you could say, of this body. I think this is another particular world that I'm invited to inhabit. So I'm learning to walk with the world of the body in the sense of fully inhabiting the feeling of this body in walking meditation, right? The sense of embodiment, the sense of mindfulness of the body. And that the art of walking with this world is interwoven with this whole bodily sense like being with the changing pressure just on the soles of my feet when I'm walking slowly, the movement of the legs and hips, the ever-changing sense of balance. Or for some of you who've done walking meditation, that sense of there's a different flavor of flow that can begin to emerge that is so bodily that you feel. And it's interesting to me when I reflect on it, 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 it feels like the soles of my feet are the ones that are learning the art of being mindful. My legs and hips and torso, they're the ones learning the art of mindfulness. And it, it, it's almost that kind of language that uh, seems to capture the feeling of deepening into this realm of mindfulness of the body. And I think that's a similar thing with so many bodily activities that maybe you've experienced, like playing the piano in that poem or swimming or riding a bike. There's that sense, have you ever had that sense? Oh, oh, my body knows how to do this. Isn't this a trip? My body really knows how to do this. Do you know this feeling I'm talking about? Like swimming or riding a bike. I know riding a bike, I have no idea how to put that into words. It is such a trip that you can give me a bike right now. I have no words. And the body remembers. I definitely don't remember because I'm forgetting all kinds of things these days. But my body really has that sense. And I think the sense of mindfulness of the body is it's something that my body is learning. That's where the wisdom resides, not up here in the body. So with this support of learning to walk in that particular world, this world of the body, I'm also learning how to walk in the world of the challenges and difficulties that arise in being a human being. Maybe some of the challenges and difficulties that you can relate to as well. 
And I know I've I've shared this probably many times in the past where uh, when I've found myself, you know, in that period of my life or sometime in my life where I'm really navigating a lot of challenge and difficulty and it's totally disrupting my sleep and how I've found that during those times, I find it so helpful to really to encourage myself to get up out of bed and engage, engage in walking meditation. I find it such a, a helpful time to engage in this practice. And in order to explain, I think what, what walking meditation offers to me in such a time of challenge, I wanna share with you some lines from this poem by Mark Nepo, which I, I so appreciate the beginning lines of this poem, because I think it, it captures something about meditation in general, and also something about uh, walking meditation. He begins, having loved enough and lost enough, I am no longer searching, just opening. No longer trying to make sense of pain, but trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. Trying to be a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land. And this is what I notice when I'm when I'm hooked, whether it's by that worry or that fear or by the irritation or sadness or the sense of confusion or ambivalence, I feel that walking meditation in particular, for me, slow walking meditation creates this place where such emotion can really land. It's like walking meditation feels like that soft and sturdy place which real things can land. And there I am, I'm in the house, slowly walking, feeling the soles of my feet, touching kind of the various subtle textures of the floor. And just residing there in this world of change, changing sensation. You know, really, this is the art of the mindfulness of the body I was just referring to. And then it feels like that, that there in the midst of such a world of sensation, there is a space, space in which real things like difficult emotions can land. And then I can open and feel them without being as lost in them or desperately trying to get rid of such experiences. So hopefully you're hearing how this world, even of challenge can open up in a different way when, when there's that landing of walking meditation. This reminds me of the Zen monk and haiku, uh, haiku poet, uh, Santoka Taneda. Interesting monk. His primary practice was walking meditation. He was what was called a wandering monk in Japan. And so the story goes, it's said that he uh, uh, is said to have walked more than 28,000 miles during his wanderings in his lifetime. So what he did, he walked. 
That was his spiritual practice. And he has this poignant, at least for me, haiku. So few words, but it captures something for me. He says, just as it is, it rains, I get wet, I walk. Just as it is, it rains, I get wet, I walk. What I find striking about that haiku poem is what's not in the poem. Because realizing what's not in the poem makes me get a sense of how powerful it is, the thing he's trying to convey. Right? There's no fighting with the rain. It's just as it is. And then, yeah, you get wet just as it is, and I just walk, I still walk. Sometimes there's the rainy weather of worry or confusion or sense of fear, a sense of anger, maybe grief or sadness. It rains. It rains all kinds of things in my life. And it's true, I get wet, I feel those experiences. It's just as it is. And maybe sometimes it soaks me to the bone. And then I walk with it. I'm close to it, but not lost in it or overwhelmed by it. I'm not in contention with that experience. It's just that it, it rains and I get wet and I walk. So for you, what, what's the rainy weather that you can learn to walk with? Wouldn't that be cool if maybe that was the entirety or the totality of your practice? Just to learn to walk with that particular kind of world whether it's the difficulty at work or with a family member or a partner, or maybe it's the challenge with your health, or maybe it's the troubles of the world that maybe rightly so are weighing you down, whether it be climate change or income inequality or systemic racism. And when I, I point this out, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I hope I'm not uh, conveying, I don't want to convey that this is some form of avoidance, but what I find is rather as a way of opening to an informed response, possibly to some of these challenges that begins with the sense of this is the way it is to begin there because it is the way it is. <laughs> That's where I need to begin. And then from there, from a, hopefully from a place of clarity and steadiness that, that can be discovered in walking meditation, a skillful response, an appropriate response. 
So walking with this world of challenge and difficulty, it rains, I get wet, I walk, it's, it's just as it is. And then I want to come back a little bit closer to this phrase I've been using, learning to walk with the world. And especially the with the world part. And uh, it's because I, I, I mean this not only figuratively, but literally as well. That walking meditation opens up this possibility for me. Not so much walking through the world, which I'll give an example of, the sense of, oh, here I am and I'm walking through the world, but rather with the world. Because to me, those feel a little bit different. I know it's just one word that's different, but they feel different for my heart. And one of these mornings um, that we've been having here in Flagstaff, cool and crisp, walking slowly, and that was one of the things I started to become aware of is that the way I habitually perceive the experience of walking, just the kind of the, the knee-jerk habit of this mind, is the feeling of I'm walking through the world. Here I am, and there's the world. I'm kind of passing all of these things. Maybe I'm outside, so I'm walking past the tree, then a clump of grass, right? There's a little line of ants, and then the bush, a building, I'm just walking through the environment. And this is not like a thought, it is a feeling. It just feels like that. And then to notice what I find so interesting is to notice it feels different when I open up the possibility, the perception, the heart quality of walking with the world. Again, it's not a thought, it's a feeling. And then it feels different. There I am, I'm walking with the trees and the rocks and even the birds I hear or the bugs, the smell of the compost, which is backyard, <laughs> in the backyard. I'm walking with my relatives, with my kin. And, and I wanna point out, this isn't just uh, a mere game, but I, for me, it's a part of this path and practice to disrupt some of the habitual ways that this mind perceives and feels the unfolding of experience. Because often they're trapping me. I'm, I'm bound by them in some manner. And to switch it, something else opens. You know, the Zen master uh, Dogen often is encouraging this disruption of these habitual ways that pr we perceive and feel into experience. And, and he definitely does this when he's sharing this Zen idea of what uh, he describes as green mountains walking. He says, if you doubt mountains walking, you do not know your own walking. It's not, it's not that you do not walk, but you that, that you do not know or understand your own walking fully. Since you do know your own walking, you should fully know the green mountains walking. Mountains walk. And I totally want to acknowledge, right? This sounds completely nonsensical, like one of these Zen riddles that doesn't make any sense that we're supposed to nod to in some way. 
but it's a weird idea. I mean, it is for me, right? Mountains walking. And that's why he wants to use it because it's unusual. And what I find when I slow down with this, when I take it seriously as a Dharma teaching, it disrupts my usual way of feeling into and perceiving this act of walking. This is what I want to, part of the things that I want to allow for in walking meditation. And then what starts to happen, at least for me at this time, it might be different if you ask me in a month when I continue to work, continue to work with mountains walking with me, is that the sense that I'm walking with the world rather than through it. I'm walking with the mountains and they are walking with me. Ah, this is a different world to inhabit rather than merely walking through the world of mere objects. And there are particular things that I found helpful around this to uh, walking meditation. And, and some of it is to allow a particular felt sense of walking to emerge. And the particular felt sense, and I get this from uh, uh, the monastic Ajahn Suchito, is to feel the whole body while you're walking, to feel as if it's moving through warm water. It's so interesting. If I'm just imagining that for a little while, because what starts to happen is it's like my whole body starts to become alive of really sensing into the space around it. And like, I'm feeling the body moving through that space and beginning to imagine first with warm water helps evoke that. So there's a fullness of the body that, that evokes this sense of with, withness, you could say. Or another way that I play with this is, um, to get a sense of that I'm my body's moving through a space of silence that surrounds the body and that, that I can feel the silence around me. And then something else emerges, a different way of walking. So I can learn to walk with the world, not through it. And again, the reason I share this is because I find it freeing. It, it frees me from a habitual disconnection from land and place that I, I feel like I've inherited from dominant society. And then my heart opens in a different direction, in the direction of, of freedom, freedom. So may these reflections be a... Uh, a gentle invitation to you to explore walking meditation if some of this resonates for you. So may our walking meditation, our, our meditation in the realm of movement be for our own benefit, for the benefit of others and for the benefit of the whole world. Thank you, thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.